Hi, this is Chris Finch. I'm lead pastor of City Walk Church. I want to thank you so much for listening to this podcast. If you don't already know, the best way to stay connected with City Walk Church is with our app. Just go to your device's app store and search City Walk Church to find it. Whether you've been a longtime follower of Jesus or you're just investigating faith, our hope is that this message will help you take your next step in that journey. If you're in the area, we would love to have you come join us in person. For more information or to plan your visit, check us out at citywalkchurch.com or on social media at WeAreCityWalkCA. Good morning, City Walk Church. Morning. All right. How are you guys doing? If you're a student in here, you're excited about this weekend because you're no longer in school for a few months. You guys excited about that? Are the moms excited too? Moms and dads excited about that too? Well, it's a good time of year, and we're thankful that you're here. We have been, as Sharice said, we started a brand new series this past week called Age of Heroes. And uh, if you were with us a few weeks ago, it was on Memorial Day weekend, kind of a rainy weekend, but, but you were, if you were here, we talked a little bit about honoring people, and, and we set really, our country sets aside that weekend to honor heroes. And uh, just like that weekend, and there, there's other weekends that you guys know of, and other days that over the course of a year, our country sets aside to honor different people who have been in history, that, and we honor them for different reasons. Probably, just like our country sets aside some days, you probably in your family, you have some specific days that you set aside to honor different people in your family. And so if it's your birthday month and and June is your birthday month and man, you're excited because man, this is the the, the month that it's going to be a day set aside and and it's kind of going to be about you and your family's going to honor you. Uh, here coming up in a, a week, we're going to be doing, I think next week, uh, Father's Day. And so every family in our country, we all, we all set aside different days to honor people that, that we feel have, have done something or, or something that we want to honor. And so we set those days apart. And if you've ever had something, and we all have, I want you to think about when was the time that you felt most honored? When was the time, and, and probably hopefully throughout your life, you've, you've felt honored at different times, and, and when we receive honor, we never take that lightly, and we, we give honor to people, but when was the time that you felt the most honored, or at least that you can remember? It, it may have been for you something at work. It may have been you had been working for a promotion for years, you had been putting in time, you had been faithful, and then finally you got called into the boss's office and, and you were promoted and were, were given that promotion and you just remember just feeling so honored that you finally made it. Maybe for you it was an opportunity that you had that, that somebody gave you that maybe a lot of people don't get this opportunity, but an opportunity kind of was given to you and you just remember as a kid or as an adult just this great opportunity maybe to meet somebody you'd always wanted to meet and you just felt so honored. Maybe it was just a raise and you're like, you know what? Man, this past year I was given a raise and man, I just felt so honored that they, they finally kind of noticed what I do and they, they showed that they noticed by giving me some more money and I, I felt honored. And whether it's something to do with your work or whether it's something personal, maybe an award that you received, 
Every single one of us enjoys being honored. And in our society, we are a society that gives honor. But a society that probably honored people, and and honor was even a bigger deal than it is in our society today here in America, was if you were to look back at the ancient times, if you were to look through the Old Testament, honor was a really big deal in, in that time frame. And if you were a man, one of the ways that you felt most honored and one of the things that that for you was one of the biggest things in your life that you wanted to see accomplished was if you were a guy, you wanted to have a son. Because if you had a son, there was no greater honor than being able to give your, your son kind of your legacy, your business, your family name. And so to have a son as a man, man, that was an incredible honor and it was just something that... man really wanted to happen in your life, and when it happened, it was a huge honor for you. But if you were a lady, for you, the greatest honor you had when, when, back in Old Testament times was you desperately wanted to have children. And, and for you, you, if you had children, for you, that was a, an honorable thing, and it was a blessing. And, and for you, it honestly, you related it to the blessing from God. If you were to have children, that was a blessing from God, and it was a great honor. In fact, you, you guys know that. I mean, you watch some of these TLC shows with like 18 kids, 32 kids and counting. And we look at it, and we're kind of intrigued by it, but we kind of feel sorry for the people too. Like, are you serious? Laundry for 19 kids and counting? Really? But back in in, in Old Testament times, they were competing to be on these shows. Man, 18, 19, 20, didn't matter because they wanted to have as many kids as they could because it was a way that, man, that was a huge honor for them. And there's a family that we're going to look at in the scriptures, and it's a family that was a family that would have been a great contestant for a Jerry Springer episode And it was a family where there were three main characters, and in the midst of dysfunction, in the midst of hurt, in the midst of what we would call depression today, we see God work in a family, and specifically in a lady by the name of Hannah, in a way that whether you're a mom, dad, aunt, uncle, teenager, single person, tremendous lessons that we can learn from this heroic lady that God used in a powerful way in the nation of Israel. And we, we kind of come on the scene in Hannah's story. If you have a Bible or you can look in the app, in 1 Samuel, the very first chapter, the very first verse. The very first verse in the book of Samuel talks about a man by the name of Elkanah. And he was a man that was from a place called Ephraim, and he was Hannah's husband. And so right from the very beginning of this book, we, we begin to hear about this family. And after they introduce the, the kind of husband, they, they kind of give you the plot for the Jerry Springer episode in the very next verse. And so look at verse 2. It'll be up on the screen. It says this. He had two wives. Already like, up. Oh, that's going to be a problem. One was called Hannah. Probably Hannah was probably the first person he married. That's why she's mentioned first. And the other, Panina. Panina had children, but Hannah had none. And so here, here's the setup. You have three characters in the story. You have Ephraim, or not Ephraim, Elkanah, who's from Ephraim. Then you have Hannah, the, the, the wife that 
Elkanah probably loves the most, the wife that is kind of his favorite. It's the one that he married first. But because having children and having a son specifically was so important, though he loved Hannah dearly, he's like, babe, we're going to have to bring Panina in here too because we're not having any kids and you know how important that is. And so basically Panina was the, the baby having wife. And so you can, you're already feeling tension inside, like, that is not going to go well. Come on, Elkanah, what are you doing, man? And so th- this is what's happening. So you have these three people, this kind of love triangle. Elkanah really loves Hannah. He kind of likes Panina, but she gives him children. And so let's dive into a little bit more of their dysfunction. In verse 3, it says this. Year after year, this man went up from his town to worship and sacrifice to the Lord Almighty at Shiloh, where Hophni and Phinehas, not cartoon guy, uh, the two sons of Eli, were priests of the Lord. Whenever the day came for Elkanah to sacrifice, he would give portions of the meat to his wife, Panina, and to all her sons and daughters. Okay, good guy. Giving some food to his wife, that's probably helpful. But then it says this. But to Hannah, he gave a double portion because he loved her, and the Lord had closed her womb. Because the Lord had closed Hannah's womb, her rival kept provoking her in order to irritate her. This went on year after year. Whenever Hannah went up to the house of the Lord, her rival provoked her till she wept and would not eat. If she were living today, she would be diagnosed with depression. Like this woman is crying, she's broken, she can't even eat. And it's all because this other woman in the story, literally, it says, is provoking her. And it it uses the word rival. And and she's kind of poking at her because, man, you can't have kids and I can. And I'm kind of bitter at you because he loves you more, but I have the kids. And so it's it's going on year after year. And it says this, verse 8. Her husband Elkanah would say to her, Hannah, why are, this is like typical dude, doesn't make us look good. Why are you weeping? That's a loaded question. Why don't you eat? Another loaded question. Why are you downhearted? And then, come on Elkanah on this next line. Don't I mean more to you than ten sons? Man, look at this. I'm better than ten sons. Why are you upset? But yet, for Hannah, for her, Hannah lived in a place of insecurity because the one thing that would make everything okay, she didn't have and could do nothing about. The one thing for her that she desperately wanted was a child. And it was the thing that she probably thought about every single day. And it was kind of put in front of her because of this other woman. And it was the one thing that for her would make everything okay. But she couldn't do anything about it. And so she literally lived in a place of insecurity. I wrote this in my notes. What don't you have that in your mind would make everything better? Think about it. There's not a person in here that isn't insecure. The most successful person in this room is deeply insecure in some area. And for most of us, if we're honest, there's something in our minds and we kind of lie to ourselves and we say, man, if 
only I had this, if only this worked out, if only this changed, if only this happened, everything would be okay. And, and that's for Hannah what she was doing. If only I had a child, everything, world peace would come. And, and well, here's what, what the issue was. And, and this is kind of the issue that we're going to talk about. Insecurity shows itself when we place all the weight on the results. And that's exactly what Hannah was doing. She was all the way. The thing that was keeping her up at night was the thing she had no control over. And it was the results. And it was what was breeding this insecurity that she lived with. If you're a parent, you understand this. Because if you're a parent, probably one of the areas in your life that you're insecure is in your parenting. Because you desperately want your kids to be successful. You want them to be healthy. You want them to be spiritually focused. But you have no control over that happening. I mean, you can do things to help the process, but at the end of the day, we have no control. And, and, but, but, but what keeps you up at night if you're a parent? Not the process, the results. You're worried, like, is it going to work out? Are they going to turn out okay? Is it gonna, are they going to go off the deep end? And, and you're worried about the thing you literally have no control over. And for Hannah, it was this idea of having a child. And man, she, she could do nothing about it. But it was the heart and really foundation of this deep insecurity in her life. Whether the root of your insecurity has anything to do with kids or family, here's a question to think about. What if you didn't have to live a defeated life based on results? What, what, if, what if we didn't have to live in a place of insecurity and defeat because we were so focused on results? What, what if we could walk through life and if the results were good or bad from a world's perspective, we could still have peace? We could still walk with confidence in our relationship with Jesus? We wouldn't have to stay up in the middle of the night worried about things. What, what, what would that look like? See, I wrote this in my notes. What if your place of insecurity was the stage for God's greatest work in your life? What if that one thing that you say, if I only had this, the thing that makes you most insecure, what if that was the place God wanted to do his greatest work? And see, for Hannah, this is something that, that was real life for her. See, her greatest insecurity, in the midst of it, she learned a lesson that would literally change her entire nation. And it came down to one realization, and here's the realization. Results are from God and for God. Simple statement. Results are from God and for God. In Hannah's scenario, you could put the word children in there because that was the result that she was so insecure about. For her, it was, hey, children are from God and for God. And Hannah, in the midst of her deep insecurity and wanting to, to have a child and, and having no control over it, she came to this realization that we're going to see that at the end of the day, results were from God. They're a gift. But results are for God. They're a stewardship and it's for Him. And so let's continue on in this story as, as we try to put ourselves in the place of this lady who is deeply insecure 
because most of us at some level have felt a deep insecurity about something. It says this in verse 9. Once when they had finished eating and drinking in Shiloh, Hannah stood up. Now Eli the priest was sitting on his chair by the doorpost of the Lord's house. In her deep anguish, Hannah prayed to the Lord, weeping bitterly. And she made a vow saying, Lord Almighty, if you will only look on your servant and remember me and not forget your servant, but give her a son, then I will give him to the Lord for all the days of his life and no razor will ever be used on his head. And so literally in the midst of this not able to eat, so broken. She has to leave the table. She goes to where the priests are and she just literally probably falls down and is crying out to the Lord in her desperation. And it says this in verse 12, as she kept on praying the Lord to the Lord, Eli, the priest, observed her mouth. Hannah was praying in her heart and her lips were moving, but her voice was not heard. Eli thought she was drunk and said to her, How long are you going to stay drunk? Put away your wine. Not so, my Lord, Hannah replied. I am a woman who is deeply troubled. I have not been drinking wine or beer. I was pouring out my soul to the Lord. Can you hear the desperation in this lady? Do not take your servant for a wicked woman. I have been praying here out of my great anguish and grief. Eli answered her, go in peace. And may the God of Israel grant you what you have asked of him. And so you have this lady that is deeply insecure. And this has been going on year after year after year. Broken to the point where she cannot even eat. And now they're, they're in a place where she's Probably at a meal, not able to eat, so broken, she goes to pray, and she's so desperate that the priest thinks she's drunk. Like, girl, what is up with you? You've been drinking, you're like all crazy in here, your mouth's moving, but I don't hear, like, what's going on? She's like, you know, I'm just broken. I'm not drunk, I'm just desperate. And, and she said, Eli says, you know what? God, God's going to grant you what's on your heart. And so, God answered the prayer. And Hannah, as after crying out to the Lord in her desperation, understanding that results are from God and for God, God answered her prayer and gave her a son that she named Samuel. And I can only imagine that every morning when she picked up Samuel, Hannah was reminded of the fact that this little boy was from God and he was a gift. See, children are a gift. For her, it was the place of her insecurity, and she was so thankful. Sometimes in our society, children are looked at as an inconvenience. Nothing could be further from the truth. I mean, will they cause inconvenience? Yes. Are they an inconvenience? No. And and Hannah probably understood this better than anybody because she had been praying and crying out for the Lord, desperate, and God finally answered her prayer and gave her a son. See, Hannah understood, as we do, that results are from God. They are a gift. But here's what she also understood. She also understood, probably better than most of us, 
that results, and in her case, children, are not just from God, but they're for God. See, look at, look at 1 Samuel again and verse 24. Remember what, she, what, did, what did she promise? When she was crying out to God, she said to God, God, if you will just give me a son, if you'll just give me a little boy, I will give him back to you to serve you with his life, I promise. And so God answered her prayer and gave her this son. Now look at verse 24, it says this. After he was weaned, probably about five years old, she took the boy with her, young as he was, along with a three-year-old bull, an ephah of flour and a skin of wine, and brought him to the house of the Lord at Shiloh. When the bull had been sacrificed, they brought the boy, this little boy, Samuel, to Eli. And she said to him, pardon me, my Lord, as surely as you live, I'm the woman. I'm the one you thought was crazy. Remember me a few years ago? I was like right over there and you thought I was crazy and drunk and I was a mess. Remember me? Oh yeah, I can't never forget you. He says, that's me. I'm the woman who stood here beside you praying to the Lord. And, and Hannah is able to say, this is the answer right here, this little guy. Hey, Samuel, say hi to Eli. Introduce, this is the prayer right here, Eli. See, Hannah had made a commitment to God that if he blessed her with a son, she would give him back to him. She understood that this place of insecurity that she had no control over, when God stepped in and answered, it would be from God. And she also understood that now that it was from God, that it was also for God. It was, the pressure wasn't on her. This is for God. And so she brings this little guy to the priest and says, Eli, let me introduce you to this guy, Samuel. He's going to be with you for the rest of his life. See, Hannah, and I can't, I can't even really imagine this. She, she weaned Samuel, kind of preparing him to serve, kind of preparing him to, to just live and take care of himself a little bit. And then about five years old, she takes this little guy and says, here, he's going to serve the Lord for the rest of his life. See, what must it have been like as a mom with the mindset that you don't have till they're 18, you have till he's five? You think about the mindset of a steward and how important it is. When you have a kid and you know you're going to have them till they're 18, 20, whatever, you have, okay, I got a little time here. I really want to do a good job with this time and, and really prepare them for the future. For her, she had five years. And so every single day was precious because she knew that this little boy was not only from God, but he was for God. And so she took stewardship very seriously. And for her, the idea of stewardship was probably something she thought about every single day as she picked up that little boy and poured into his life, knowing that it would only be a few years when she would give him back to the Lord. See, the day, I can only imagine that the day when it came and Hannah's packing his little bags and taking Samuel and and. And she's reminded of what, how she cried out to God in desperation from a place of insecurity. And now God had answered her prayer and she was giving back to the Lord. And so 
Verse 27, it says this. As they're kind of interacting with Eli, it says, I prayed for this child, and the Lord has granted me what I ask of him. So now I give him to the Lord for his whole life. He will be given over to the Lord. And he, Samuel, worshipped the Lord there. This five-year-old little boy that had been raised by Hannah worshipped the Lord as a little boy. As she handed him over to take the, 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 the mantle of, of following uh, God and being part of a ministry for the, literally the rest of his life. And, and think about it. There's a lot of application in this story. There's a lot of application if you're a parent. I mean, imagine, mom and dad, what if we own the fact that our children are from God, but they're also for God? What if we really owned that? What if, hey, yes, preparing kids for college, business, scholarship, success, it's all important. But, but what would change in our life if our greatest concern was that our children walk with Jesus and when they stand before God hear, well done, good and faithful servant. What if that was our greatest thing that we were going after? The thing that we know we have no control over, but we cry out to God in desperation, God, please do this work. What if that was the most important thing? I remember a few years ago when I was uh, in Florida and I was working at a church called Centerpoint, and there was a guy there, his name was Al. And Al was a guy that was an extremely successful man. Uh, he had adult children at that point, was well-known in our community, had been involved in a lot of different things. And I can remember he was one of the elders at the church. I remember having breakfast with Alan and just getting to know him, getting to know a little bit more about him. And he said something I will never forget during that breakfast. He said this. He said, Chris, I have one thing on my bucket list. I thought, oh, that's, I need to know what you're talking about because that's interesting that you would say that. He said, yeah, I only have one thing. He says, the one thing I have on my bucket list is this, that my kids follow Christ. And, and what's cool is when he started coming to his church, none of his kids were in church. They were all adults. They were all great people, but none of them were following Jesus. And it was awesome to watch this man who understood how his kids were a gift from God, but they were also a gift for God, and he desperately wanted all of God's best for them. And so for him, the only thing he cared about in his life, in fact, that's why he started coming to our church, he even said, because I think this would be a good church that my adult kids would come to. And it's been awesome to watch his son-in-law come to know Jesus, and his daughters begin to serve at church, and, and just to see their entire family. And I loved watching literally his grandkids come up and hug him as they got out of the car to come to church, and it was neat to watch. And it was because this place for him that was a place of insecurity, and for him it was, man, I want my kids to walk with God. I have no control over it, but I'm desperate for Jesus. I'm asking God to do a work and to watch God answer his prayer just like God answered Hannah's prayer in the place that he was most insecure and had no control, God answered his prayer. See, Hannah was a lady that had that happen in her life. And, and here's what's interesting. After she gave Samuel back to the Lord, 
she had a lot of other kids. She had a bunch more kids. And, and here's what's interesting to think about. Samuel, this little boy that she gave back to the Lord, marked the nation of Israel for centuries. See, Samuel became the spiritual conscience and the leader of the nation. He was the man that anointed David king. And he was the man who anointed David king and then thousands of years later in the same line of King David, another deliverer would come and his name would be Jesus. And Samuel was the man who anointed the king whose line Jesus came out of. And it was all because there was a mom who understood that results, my deep insecurity, the place where I wish I could change but I have no control it's all about God. Results are from God. And they're for God. See, what's interesting is because of, and you think Hannah, she's literally like crying out, looks half drunk. You think she knew that, hey, if I am faithful, I'll have a son. He'll anoint a king. From that line, the deliverer of the world will come. She was just a desperate mom who understood results are from God and for God. And, and, and here's what I want us to think about because there's no one in here, and I said this earlier, there's no one in here that's not insecure. There's no one in here, no matter what mask we put on for Sunday morning, and I hope this is a place that you feel like you can take your mask off, but there's no one in here who doesn't have a place or several places that we are deeply insecure. It, it might be your children. It might be parenting. It might be relationships. It might be your business. It might be finances. It might be something about your future. But if you're honest, you're deeply insecure about it. And, and you've probably gotten to a place where you're kind of good at avoiding it. And so nobody maybe really knows about the insecurity in your life. And you've kind of found a way to kind of laugh things off when it gets onto that subject. But down deep, as you lay up in your bed at night, it's what keeps you awake at night. This statement that's, that's going to go up on the screen what will maybe help clarify. It's the, if only blank happens, I will be at peace. I'll be happy. What is it for you? What do you fill that blank in with? If only blank happens, then I'll be happy. Then I'll be at peace. What is it for you? Whatever you fill in that blank with is probably a window into one of the places in your life that you're deeply insecure and it probably has something to do with some results you have no control over. How would life be different if, like Hannah, we embraced the fact that results are from God and they're for God? See, I wrote this in my notes. Results are what keep us up at night. They're what give us anxiety. They're the source of our insecurity. All the while, it's the part of the equation we have no control of and aren't accountable to God for. We have no control over the results, and it's not like God's up there saying, you didn't get that result, you're out. We don't have control over the results, but yet it's the place that we're most insecure. 
We're not meant to produce results, but to be faithful in process. But that process doesn't keep us up at night. Results do. But what God's saying to us, and I think what Hannah began to understand is, you know what? The results, that's God's business. The process is what he asks us to be a part of. He really invites us into, doesn't need us to be, but invites us into. And so as we think about that, I want to give you just, just a couple thoughts. I want some, something real practical. I want you to think, what, what is the place? Like if, if we all had a window into each other's brains and up on the screen and we just kind of went down, and wouldn't this be crazy, and kind of just went down the row and whatever you're most insecure about showed itself for 10 seconds on the screen and then went to the next person. What would that be? What would it be for you? I want you to, I want you to picture that whatever that is, and I want you to remember that we're not held accountable for results. God invites us into process. So what does that process look like? Very simply, the first part of the process is prayer. It's, it's, we pray. We pray like Hannah from a place of dependence on God. We pray knowing that, you know what, I can't even breathe on my own without God's help. And so God The first part of the process, whatever that one thing is that you're deeply insecure about, that if you could change it tomorrow, you would. The first part of that faithful process is praying from a place of dependence, saying, God, I have no control over this. I know you do, but here's my prayer. I trust you. We pray. The second thing in the process is we work. We do the right thing the right way. So we, so we pray, God, I can't, can't fix it, can't change it, dependent on you. I'm asking you to do a work. But then we work. We don't sit on the couch and say, well, I prayed, do, do your thing, God. It's all you. I'm not going to do anything. No. Whatever the right thing to do is, we do. Understanding that it's God that's in charge of the results, but we are supposed to be and we're invited into process. So we pray and then we work. So what's the right thing to do in the right way in this situation? Just do it. If you're, if you're parenting and you're you know, insecure about your parenting, we pray. We're dependent on God. God, it's your work that's going to change my kid's heart. I need you. I can't do it. But then we work. We just do whatever's right. But then the third thing we do is simply this. We give thanks. We live grateful lives. So if the results turn out the way I want them to turn out, we give thanks. If the results turn out better than I wanted them to turn out, we give thanks. If the results turn out worse in my mind than I wanted them to turn out, we give thanks because the results are from God and they're for God. And so we give thanks. So we pray. We work and we give thanks because we are called to faithfulness, not to results. Because results are from God and they're for God. Let's bow our heads, close our eyes. As I kind of close things out, I want you to keep that thing in your mind that's a place of insecurity for you. It's the thing that if you allow it to, it sometimes will keep you up at night. It'll give you anxiety. It'll hold you captive. 
Name it. Name it in your mind. You were not meant to carry that weight. You were not meant to carry the weight of the results. And so just in the quietness of this room, would you just take that, that thing that is maybe on your shoulders, it's a thing that you're anxious about, and the Bible tells us in Psalms chapter 37, it says this, that we are to commit these things to the Lord. And it, the word commit literally means to roll it from our shoulders onto His. So would you roll whatever that thing is onto His shoulders? And then would you just ask God, God, help me to remember that I was not called to results. I was called and invited into a process. Help me to be faithful. I'm going to pray, I'm going to work, and then I'm going to give thanks. God, I thank you for your word. And Lord, this, this lady who thousands of years ago never knew that she would be looked at as a hero, someone that in her desperation and her insecurity, Lord, you worked in that and brought about this little boy, Samuel, that marked the nation of Israel and its history and is affecting us today because of Jesus. And Lord, every single one of us here, including me, have places in our hearts that we avoid because we're insecure, we're worried, we're anxious. And in many cases, Lord, it's because of results that we have no control of and we're not even accountable for. God, I pray that whatever that is in each of our lives and in each of our hearts, that we would this morning, as an act of dependence on you, just mentally and emotionally roll that onto your shoulders. And you invite us to do that. And God, that we would then just be faithful in the process. That we would pray, not just when we're hurt or need something, but that we would live a life of dependence on you. And that we would work, that we would do the right thing in the right way. And that we would be grateful. That we would give thanks. That we would honor you. That we wouldn't take credit for the success, that we wouldn't take credit for the failure, but that we would honor you and give thanks for whatever your will is. In Jesus' name, amen.